Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. We just want to thank all of our monthly supporters on the podcast. We also welcome you to head on over to thrivinginthetrenches.com where you can find our support page. You can also find the links to Gina Finster of Someday Saint. She is supporting this episode and you can check out her blog on Facebook, Instagram, and Etsy. You can find her fun clothing and special designs and her very special family litany of saints where she will custom make a print for you your family. Again, you can find her at SomedaySaints.com. This is not just me and that we actually are doing ourselves a huge disservice by not talking about these issues that Catholic families face. The result is that we feel like we have to go it alone. We are women encouraging and equipping women to universally and uniquely serve Christ in their feminine vocation. By embracing joy, laughter, freedom, and friendship, we are seeking to thrive in the trenches of our domestic churches. Welcome to Thriving in the Trenches podcast. This is Becky Carter. And this is Megan Schreiber. You are listening to episode number 53. Our topic today is Good Enough is Good Enough. And that is the title of the book. And the author that we have appearing today, Colleen Duggan. Colleen is a Catholic writer whose work has appeared in Catholic Digest, Creative Catechist, CatholicMom.com, Alatea, and Integrated Catholic Life. She is a catechist, leads Bible studies, and speaks on Catholicism and Catholic parenting. She founded the women's ministry at her parish. Duggan earned a bachelor's degree in religious studies and psychology from St. Mary's College and a master's degree in education from the University of Notre Dame. Go Irish! She is a contributor to the Catholic Moms Prayer Companion. Colleen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, welcome, Colleen. It's so good to have you. And I would like for you to just kind of open up sharing uh, with our listeners a little bit about you, Colleen, and uh, a little bit about your journey. What what got you to where you are now? Well, I am Colleen, and I am a wife and mom of six kids. And I, about 10 years ago, 
decided it was right when blogging started taking off and everyone, I was at home with a bunch of small kids. I'd quit working and everyone had started blogging. And I, there were a few blogs that I liked reading and I thought to myself, well, I can do that. So (laughs) without much prayer or any really knowledge about how to start a website whatsoever, I just did, started one. I loaded, I went on blogger and it, it was easy then to do it. And I just started writing and writing and writing and writing. And I wrote for many, many, many years. And eventually I got enough courage to submit articles to different places. And those articles would get accepted. And so I just kept writing. And eventually that writing turned into a book. Now, were you raised in a Catholic home? Can you tell us a little bit about that upbringing? I I was raised in a Catholic home, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a maybe... um, super orthodox home, I I should say. Um, My mom was a baptized Catholic and really didn't know her faith at all. She was not catechized. She grew up in California in the 60s, and she was not catechized in her faith at all. And my dad's parents were very orthodox Catholics, but they really, I think, um, started faithfully practicing after he was probably, you know, a grown kid, although he did, he was a faithful altar server, uh, for his childhood. And I know when, certainly when my grandparents, I remember as a kid, they were daily communicants and regular rosary prayers and things like that. So my dad was, was definitely a Catholic, but my mom, because she didn't really know the faith very well, we weren't raised in a uber Catholic environment. They did, they both thought Catholic education was important. So we were we moved a lot because my dad was in the service. But when we came back from being overseas on one particular stint, they had made the decision through some financial help with my of my grandparents to put us in Catholic school. And I think that's really where my mom's conversion happened because she was preparing my younger sister for her first communion when she read about transubstantiation and what happens on the altar during um, the consecration. And she started weeping right there on the couch because she never was familiar with the church's teachings on the Eucharist becoming the body and blood of Christ, you know, during during uh, the mass. And so from that moment on, once she knew and she befriended the sisters who ran the school, the Nashville Dominicans who ran the school where we were attending, she started going, learning more about her faith. And, and our family started going to mass regularly after that. That's amazing. And now... Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you have a sister who's a sister of that yes. same order? Yes. And because Gosh. of those sisters, my sister found her vocation. And so this is anecdotal, but, you know, everyone is always bemoaning the state of Catholic education today. But I am so grateful for our Catholic education in my in my own in my own growing up, because it was how really my parents came back to the faith. And without, you know, the textbooks that they read, you know, and and the encounters they had with the sisters, I'm not so sure that that would have happened. Mm-hmm. So would you say that there was a point in your own journey where your faith really became your own? Well, yes, I would say probably when I was in college, but I, I would say that my Catholic education definitely greased the wheel. I started going to Catholic school when I was in fourth grade. And I think my mom's conversion to the faith, even though she had been a baptized Catholic, she'd never really practiced. I mean, she was married in the church 
And at some point I received my first communion and my brother did too, but I don't really know how that we were at, we were overseas when that happened. So I don't know how all the, I don't remember going to any official religious education training is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, over time and through the gift of my Catholic education, I decided to go my last year in high school to a Catholic women's college. And it was there when I was away from my parents and kind of doing my own thing that I started reading the church's teachings, especially uh, the encyclicals, papal encyclicals. I had to take intro to religious education classes as prereqs. And I remember being a young college student reading Humanae Vitae, and my mind was blown. I mean, I was 18 years old in the basement of my college dorm reading Humanae Vitae and the church's teachings on sex and marriage. And I remember that night as I put my pen down and my highlighter down on the table next to my coffee, I I remember thinking, I will always embrace what the church teaches. Hmm. And that was such a grace. I mean, that wasn't anything that came from me. It was just once I knew what the church taught, it was hard for me intellectually to deny the truth of it. And uh, so because of of that religious education at, at the college level, I really became open, open to learning more and was very much hungry for what, what the church offered in terms of guidance to the people. I love that. Boy, you're, you're definitely an outlier. I mean, most people aren't doing that in college, which, which makes me think that, you know, we're going to, we're going to really dive in and talk about your book, which I've read and I, I love basically the subtitle of this good enough is good enough again by Colleen Duggan. Confessions of an Imperfect Catholic Mom. And one of your titles, one of the chapters in here is, I Don't Know How to Keep My Kids Catholic. And I can't imagine that there's not a a mom out there that doesn't, doesn't wrestle with that same thing, especially when we've had an experience like you have, that moment of grace, that moment of truth where you, you know Oh, gosh, this is the fullness. This is the truth, and I'm going to walk in it, right? And then now all of a sudden we've got these little souls, and we think, oh, we got to keep them here. We've got, you know, we don't want them to fall off the path. And so, you know, I, I wonder if your past and your story in a good way is also what contributed to a lot of kind of what this book was about of, you know, having that fear in a sense that our kids could possibly fall away. Definitely. I mean, especially when you look around and, you know, I know for myself, when I really came into a love for my faith as a young adult, and especially in my early 20s, I'm thinking, so now I'm out of college, I'm in graduate school, I'm teaching full time as a, as a religion teacher in a Catholic school, and I'm taking notes about the the kinds of Catholics I see around me. And there were a lot of different kinds. And I was attracted to the people who really seemed to love their faith and love the church. And they weren't, they didn't feel that the church's teachings were a burden. And so in a lot of ways, I felt like they had figured out some kind of secret sauce that I had missed growing up. (laughs) And honestly, I have to say, I, and I've said this to my parents directly, the greatest thing my parents did I think was they they did offer us that beautiful Catholic education and they never spoke poorly of the church and 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 they did try to feed us in the in the best way they they knew how and they could given and I think God filled in the gaps in it with the rest of it 
And um, it was because of their humility, really, in, in what they didn't know, and they never proclaimed to be something other than that what they really were, that I think it left me at least open to really searching on my own. Okay, what is the church teaching here? Do I agree with this? Do I want to get on board? And when I was newly married and young, I looked around, and there seemed to be these families who, who just never really had to wrestle with any of that. They just, maybe it was because they were baptized Catholics, cradle Catholics, raised cradle Catholics. They they just seemed to know and live their faith and not have any quandaries about it. And they certainly didn't seem to wrestle with any kind of human dysfunction, which I could not say was the case. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was just perplexed. And I, I was like, well, I know how hard it is right now to live my faith. And I'm going to the Eucharist regularly. And I'm receiving, I'm going, dragging myself to confession. And yet... I still acted like a jerk around my husband, and I still yell at the toddler sometimes. And I would look at these other families, and maybe the same things were happening at their house. I don't know, but I just assumed they weren't because they were better Catholics than I was. (laughs) I don't know if if that's sound logic, but that is certainly what was going on in my head. Well, it's also the voice of the evil one saying, you're the only one that's failing. You're the only one, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's hard, uh, you know, when you know the ideal, you know, we all want to get to heaven. The ideal is sanctity, holiness. And we all, all good Catholics have that. And even the not so good Catholics, I think they want that, that we all want heaven. And so if we know that that's what, where we want to be at the end, the end game is heaven. And yet we look at our daily lives and we see how, our own behavior limits choosing that final end game. It can be disheartening, I think. And um, anyone who's honest will look and see that they're they're where they lack. You know where their where their gaps are. And I saw that in my own life, and I just assumed that other people must not be struggling in the same way. Now, after many years of parenting and marriage and counseling and spiritual direction, I can say that actually isn't probably the truth. But it seemed to me at the time that these other families had some kind of rubric. And if I could just crack this Catholic rubric, then we would fix the generational sin of my past and we would fix the dysfunction that I struggled with. And everything would be golden and my kids would be saints and we'd all get to heaven. And hopefully that will happen. But (laughs) it's not because probably because of anything spectacular I do. It's because I drag myself to Jesus and Mm -hmm. for his help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love I mean, I think that that's such an important distinction. You know, Catholics get accused of being more worried about our works than our faith. And, and that's exactly what you just explained, you know, or you described is, okay, if I would just find the right rubric, then we'll all get to heaven. But the rubrics don't make us holy. They are a tool, but it's that faith and that going back to the source, the source is who heals our sin, the source is who heals the wounds, you know, and, and, and Christ. And as you said, you are always going back to the Eucharist. Most of us are all wrestling with that probably on a daily basis to some degree. I love the title, you know, good enough is good enough. I'm hoping you can talk a little bit more about, about that title, because I I think maybe some people could kind of hear that initially and think, is that lowering the bar? And it's like, no. Yes, I would love to, because several people have commented that to me. And, um, you know, 
what is that line? You know, there's a line from St. Paul about be perfect. At, no, who says that? Be perfect. Jesus says that. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And yes. <laughs> we're, not St. Paul. But we're, you know, we're, we're called to perfection. I think for someone like me who tends to be um, kind of hard, I'm, you know, I'm hard on myself. I'm super type A. Uh, I have, there's like a right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things in my brain. <laughs> and that also translates into the right and wrong way to do things in the spiritual life. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of grace and mercy there in our, in our spiritual life. And that, and what I've had to learn is that my standards aren't actually necessarily Jesus's standards. You know, if I'm so stressed out about really superfluous details that in the grand scheme of things don't, things don't really make that big of a difference. I'm thinking of like certain kinds of liturgical celebrations that I could wrap myself around the pole about that in the long run. Yeah. Okay. It's nice to have a cupcake for Mary's birthday, but if I'm, you know, screaming or I've lost, I've lost the point of why we're doing it. And I'm yelling at the eight year old for ruining the batter like, is that really God's will I, I, that Mar- Mother Mary, that his mother have a cake for the, her birthday? I don't know. And maybe other people don't struggle like this. I don't know. But, <laughs> Clearly, but, we're laughing because we've been there. I'm just thinking of like past Christmas pictures, you know, don't it? Exactly. <laughs> yes, like yeah. demons come out during the Christmas pictures. Yes, I totally do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and by, by the end, I'm like sweating. I mean, it's a, all of two minutes and I've, I've broken a sweat. Yeah. And it's like I miss the forest through the trees because I'm so hell bent on doing it a certain way. And the spirit and the love and the mercy with which I'm called to undertake the task, I've completely lost. And so the title of the book, Good Enough is Good Enough, is really kind of how I had to get to a place where. I realized my standards were were really actually prohibitive in my journey to holiness because they weren't God's standards. They were these ridiculous, uh, type A, perfectionistic, uh, modus operandi rules that I had invented, invented in my brain and that I looked at on Pinterest and in Good Housekeeping magazine that were going to make me a good wife and mother and therefore a good Catholic and help me get my kids into heaven. And they were actually the thing that made me crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had to really let go of some of those things and not make, make the presentation of the faith about the rules and the rubric, but really about God's love and mercy and developing a relationship with him and using my relationship as the springboard for bringing my kids along in the faith, not these other things that I had determined to be so important. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it makes total sense. But, you know, it's, it's prompting me to think about it in, in a way, you know, obviously we're talking about it as the role of, of being a mom and we can, all of those stories are completely relatable, but I wonder, I just wonder how often we might be doing that in in other areas of our life because God doesn't exist in a silo for us just as moms. So could we could we do that in our marriages? You know, do are we so yeah. hell bent on you know 
being a certain way and, and trying to get our spouse to heaven, right? Because that's, we're supposed to be our, the sanctification of each other. You know, do we do it in friendships? Do we do it in relationships with our, you know, our family of origin? I mean, it's, there are other ways to look past, um, past that, that you can, you can see how it could be pervasive while, while it's good and well-meaning to want, um, you know, to get to heaven and to get our spouse to heaven and, and all this, are we, are we missing the forest for the trees in, in other relationships in our life? Well, yeah. And I, I mean, and I have written about that in other areas too, about the temptation to, you know, it's like the time I went to this conference and this priest gave this talk on, um, the, on your daily meditation and on how important it was on Lexio Divina, on encountering God and through the scriptures. And I mean, it was the most beautiful talk I had ever heard. And in the 50 minutes that I sat listening to him at the end of it, I thought, that's it. I'm abandoning my evil ways and I'm going to really learn how to pray. And he, he took some questions from the audience and the first woman, the, one of the first people who raised her hand, he called on her and he said, and look, maybe this woman is a veritable mystic and she's mastered the art of prayer. And, and now all she wants to do is get her husband and her kids to pray this way. Perhaps that is the case. But the first thing that she said was, how do I get my family to pray like this? I mean, there were like five questions I would have asked him about prayer before I thought about how I got my kids to, to pray that way. Right, right. And it's like when we read these books about the spiritual life or even just self-help books, you know, that are so trendy today, you know, when we're highlighting the passages that pertain to other people and not ourselves, that should give us pause. <laughs> right. And so I do think it is a very real temptation to focus on the sanctification of those around us, on the flaws of those around us, the people we work with, the people we see at church, you know, the hypocrites that we have to deal with every day, and miss the focus on our own sanctification and really dedicating ourselves to daily prayer and really trying to become saints ourselves and 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 following the invitation Christ is issuing to us daily to do His will and not our own. And, and I know for myself, once I really start to buckle down on that, uh, listen, the cracks in my own foundation become painfully obvious, and I don't have that much time to be focusing on the nincompoops around me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't tell you how many times in spiritual direction, and I've, I've said this several times to our listeners on the podcast before, but, you know, anytime I'm in a conundrum with my children or my spouse— it's over and over, you become holy. Yeah, right. <laughs> tells me, you become holy. That's, that's who I have control over. And, and it really does lead me when I, 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 I'm hoping I'm not the only one that feels this way, but I find I can tell when I'm starting to try to control everyone and everything around me, I am easily angered. Nobody is doing what I think they should be doing. My expectations are being slashed over and over again. And it's because I'm hyper-focused on what the others are doing rather than how I am handling my own sanctification. And uh, I can't control them. And I can remember when I, when I finally realized that about my own children, um, the freedom that comes with that. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't ever, I don't not ever try to control my children. Did that come out right? <laughs> um, I still fall into that all the time, uh, trying to control the people in my immediate family, bless them. 
but knowing that there is no freedom in that, um, I can usually at some point I realize what I'm doing and this is why I'm so miserable. It's because I'm trying to do something that is absolutely outside of my uh, ability. Colleen, I, I'm sorry, I keep circling back to the book because I just, I had a lot of fun reading this too. M- mostly because I could identify with a lot of things. We talked about the Christmas picture. My kids are older <laughs> now, so I don't sweat taking their picture, but I, I mean, there were, there were years, years that it was, yes, I had this perfect vision of how things were going to unfold and it did not include, you know, the two-year-old pulling out a chunk of hair from the three-year-old's head during the picture taking and then the meltdown, you know, you're thinking, my gosh, why, why is this so challenging? But I'm curious as to some of the feedback that you've gotten from readers of this book too. Are you seeing a theme like, wow, this is something that I'm, I'm kind of surprised, but it's resonating with so many people. Yes. Yes. Well, and the, the first thing I'll say is it's somewhat of what you had asked me just a few questions back about good, what, you know, what does it mean to really have good enough, be good enough? You know, isn't that kind of a low bar? One person wrote me and said, um, that the, the subtitle of this book was formally how to get to purgatory in three easy steps, which kind of made me laugh out loud because that's not really what I'm trying to encourage here. I'm not trying to (laughs) encourage everyone to just embrace mediocrity and hang up their shoes and go sit on the couch couch with a bag of blazed potato chips and, and have a field day. Uh, you know, I, I'm just saying if you're if you're highly wired to maybe dial it down a little and 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 allow God a little more freedom to work. My problem was I I, w- I had such a tight grip on on of control on my what what I thought I could I had no control, but I certainly tried, and I I put so much. Uh, emphasis on my own efforts that God really didn't have a lot of freedom to work at all in there. And, um, so as I was writing the book to answer your question though, my, I would, I, you know, sometimes I would write certain things that seemed so personal and almost like too much, you know, like, should I be sharing this with the world? And then right after I wondered that I would think, and by the way, who's going to identify with this? And my editor, I would send her little little notes like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only crazy one in the room. And I, I, to, if the truth be told, I, I have always been, my sister's nickname for me is oversharer. And, <laughs> and I am someone who's like probably a little bit too honest sometimes. And so I worried that that was like a character defect that was now seeping into this writing project and that perhaps not everyone needed to know my dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. And so I would write to my editor, who I loved, and say, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is too much. And she would just write back, you know, these one little one-liners that would say, no, it's, it's got to be okay. And so throughout the whole writing process, I just kind of trusted her that I, you know, that I wasn't just going to be this crazy person sharing my dirty laundry. Like, you know how when you read a blog post that it's just a little bit too much information and then you feel like you need to go take a shower afterwards? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That was how I worried the book was going to be like, oh, my gosh, that Colleen Duggan girl needs a grip. And so I I worried about that. But once the book came out, I right before it came out, I was given permission by the publisher to to get like a pilot group of women together. And they we gave them the book in advance and the publisher let them read it with permission not to share and we kind of walked through, through this um, study circle that I had written to go with the book. And 
it was Zen. And, and that was such a blessing for me to be able to see. I had known these women for years. And in that course of that six or seven week study where we gathered and we prayed and chatted together, I learned things about those women that I had never known that they struggled with in their marriage and in their parenting and in their homes in a way that was so beautifully shared and authentic and vulnerable. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is not just me. And that we actually are doing ourselves a huge disservice by not talking about these issues that Catholic families face. And we, what happens is the result is that we feel like we have to go it alone. And so instead of encountering support and encouragement and um, the comfort that we need amongst Catholic women, we feel alienated and isolated and alone. And I think that is really where this, where the evil one wants us. And so in writing the book and then in getting to talk to other women and even in some of the emails I've received, I received one email from a woman after I read it, I was crying and I thought, if no one else is touched by this book, I know that that one soul out there, I wrote that for her. And the truth is, I don't think that she's the only person, you know, for every one person that says something, there's probably a handful of others that say me too, silently, you know? Mm-hmm. So yes, I think there, this is, I think the struggle to be good enough, a good enough parent, a good enough wife, a good enough worker, whatever, whatever your identity. And we usually wear many hats. We all have that feeling like, are we, are we doing good enough? Are we bringing our good enough to the table? And when we aren't, which that's the reality too, that I'm not always a good enough mom. Sometimes I'm a flat out failure that that's going to be okay because God can get in there and work even in the midst of our failures. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's what St. Paul said. And we just have, for me, I've had to come to believe and trust that um, my weakness is not an impediment to God's working. It's actually a great a great invitation to his great his workings in my life. It is so good and so important. Thank you for reminding me and our listeners listeners of that and realizing that the standards that the world is putting on us is what's making us not feel good enough. We're trying to please the wrong person rather than being a child of God whom is always pleased with us, always pleased with us. Like, we, we should never, ever have to worry about what the world says because we know what God says about us and that He loves us and that love will never change and that He is always there with His graces trying to pour into our lives. But that piece of letting Him pour into our lives. You know, that control you were talking about um, and how we have to give him the space to work in us and, and, and ex- accepting our failures to get so mad at ourselves. I don't know if you had this experience or not, but um, to get so mad at yourself because you have failed at something is really a sign of pride. And oh, yeah, I've had that. <laughs> Yes. Like, who am I to think that I'm going to be so awesome all the time and on point all the time and right 
all the time and patient and demure and gentle and loving and encouraging. (laughs) No, sometimes I'm at my wit's end and I just lose it. Um, But there's a line in, um, in your book, and I think it might actually be... Um, Yes, it's one of your excerpts from Father Philippe. And the very last sentence on it, he says, We must accept ourselves just as we are if the Holy Spirit is to change us for better. It's true. And wishing we were wired a different way, which I have spent many a year doing, (laughs) or bemoaning my weaknesses instead of just accepting that this is a problem. This is how I am, and I... I don't have to wave the white flag of surrender. I can I can try to grow, come up with some strategies and to help me, and I can pray, and I can sacrifice and fast and do all of those things. But that perhaps this weakness was given to me to re- remind me of how weak I am, and mm-hmm. and if I didn't have the weakness, I wouldn't have any need for God. And so the thing that I, I sometimes, the weakness that I hate the most is the very great reminder of my need for God. And without it, I would just be floating out into the wilderness on my own because I'm so great. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and while we're called to that, I was thinking that, we, there, there's all that, also that place where we, we we can maybe use our temperament as a crutch in a way, you know, like, well, yeah. that's just the way I'm wired. So, yeah. But it, and even though we have that weakness, he still doesn't want to leave us there. So as we lean into him, which is the grace of it, um, that, that he can transform us, that we do eventually move away from that particular weakness or vice or piece of our temperament that needs tempering. and But that doesn't ever mean that we finally arrive, because once we get through that one, we realize, like an onion, there's another one over here that we have to work on. I mean, we're always going to be dependent upon him. And at the same time, we, we need to be open to that constant renewal of, of what he does want to do in our life through the Holy Spirit. Certainly. And, and also, try, I think for me, too, the other part of that is that I'm not, that just because I'm asking to be delivered of whatever weakness it is, doesn't mean that he's on my same timeline. <laughs> because that's exactly. another hard lesson I've had, is that, you know, I certainly make the request and, you know, go to the sacraments, especially that sacrament of confession, where I'm openly and regularly confessing those tendencies towards sin in order to have God's grace help me in those areas. Um, but, you know, it's like, just because I'm asking doesn't mean Im- immediately it's going to be removed. Now, sometimes God does work like that. But in my own life, I found, like you said, the onion analogy is real. <laughs> the layers mm-hmm. are there. And it takes time to remove the different layers. And so certainly I'm, I'm, I'm more patient I'm less prone to anger than I was 15 years ago. Oh, but you can best be assured that if I have a bad day, I can go off like the best of them. I can so identify with you. I, it's just, maybe it's the Irish in us too, right? 
We're, we're two little Irish girls with, with six kids. That's yes. w- what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't mess with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, and I have to say, I, all of the um, books that you referenced and different things were all of my favorites. I mean, you're like pulling something from a severe mercy. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And yeah, uh, Philippe, and you just kept going. It was so it was so great. I mean, and this this book was this this actually came to Ireland with me, if you remember. Um, I, I, was, I do remember. Yes, I do. Yes, I was I was reading it. It was it was just so good. And and I have to say, um, I actually have a shirt now that says "Good Enough Mom." <laughs> much much to your chagrin. I I, <laughs> I I love it. And um, Colleen and I have kind of well, maybe you could share the story. I think your husband did something cute. He did. Mm-hmm. He did. He um, for Mother's Day. Well, my the publisher Ave Maria Press, who is just so fabulous to work with. We were having a meeting about marketing and, you know, they have such great ideas. And so I had told them that I thought it'd be cute on social media to use the hashtag good enough mom and people could share, you know, like um, I'm thinking about like the time when I had, you know, a toddler and I was going to go to daily mass and I dropped some of my big kids off at church, uh, off at school and we were going to run over to mass, but he had pooped through everything. And all I had, and I was not going to not go to mass, and all I had was a big T-shirt and a diaper. So I just popped that baby in the T-shirt, and we went to mass, and he looked like, you know, he did not look out of the covers of Jimboree magazine. I'm going to let you know that. But we went anyway, and so I was telling him, like, moms have that kind of thing where they just have to make the best out of imperfect circumstances, so why don't we use a hashtag good enough mom? And they were like, oh, yes. Let's do T-shirts. So then we got, so then someone designed a good enough mom T-shirt and for, and I just loved it. And so, you know, I've been giving my friends good enough mom T-shirts because they're so cute. And who doesn't need that pick me up? Well, for Mother's Day, my husband so sweet, sweetly and thoughtfully designed a, a T-shirt for the kids that said hashtag good enough kid. And I was telling Megan that when they wear the T-shirts, it reduces the incidence of yelling because (laughs) I see their T-shirt. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. They're just doing the best they can. So anyway, that's how the good good enough kid and mom T-shirts came about. That's right. I I told my my, uh, 15. Oh, gosh, he's 16 now. 16 year old son that he was really liking it. I'm like, it doesn't mean I'm lowering the bar. It just means I'm, I'm giving you, giving you some mercy in places where you still don't have that brain development. He's like, <laughs> he's like, all right, you know, you guys have heard enough stories about him to know that he, he'd try to take the, he'd wear that shirt all the time, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how some people have no problem embracing their good enough status. Other people, not so much. Well, we're thankful that uh, you were willing to come on the podcast, and I'm glad that you and Megan have been able to really form a sweet friendship up there in your neck of the woods. So I'm a little jealous. I'm still down here in the South in, in my closet, as I always am. Well, I think God arranged it because we, we, we were fortunate to meet at, at a conference and it was like, when I met Megan, I was like, Oh, I think I've known you for my whole life. I know. We both said the same thing. (laughs) But remember when we looked at each other, we're like, we know each other, (laughs) but we really had not ever met prior to that moment. But it was, it was totally a divine appointment for sure. It really was. 
you know, it's like that C.S. Lewis quote about friendship. When mm-hmm. it, I can, do you know what I'm talking about? The one yes. I'm talking about. He says, "You look at the person." He says, "You say, oh, you too." Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And in our case, it was, "Wait, you're crazy with your kids too?" No, just <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, or, well, that, or my case, just crazy. You know, <laughs> that's great. That's okay. I embrace the craziness. Well, this has been, it has been so awesome having you on. And I encourage our listeners to pick up this book and read it. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. In some places, you're going to, you know, absolutely be uplifted by, by Colleen's encouraging words. Well, thank you so much for having me and for sharing the book. I'm really grateful. And I want to just point people to my website, ColleenMurphyDuggan.com. There's a study guide that people can download and use amongst their friends or at parish uh, study groups, whatever, however they want. And I've just found that it's a really great way of connecting with other women. So I encourage people to use that uh, resource. Great. And we'll, we'll put that on our show notes, right, Becky, yeah. for people to follow. Yeah, because yeah, awesome. uh, actually the gal who was your student, we started a little book study this summer, and this is the book that we chose to go through. So. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, Becky, I mean, Colleen was so much fun to have on. Not that I expected anything less of her because she's very enthusiastic and super smart. Yeah, her... Uh, her extrovertedness made me feel introverted. <laughs> she was fun. No, you know I love it, and and you you have said that I would really enjoy getting to talk with her. And you're right; it was it was just a, a fun treat. And I loved being able to tell her how um, our paths have crossed um, in different times. And so that's that was a fun little connection. That is, it is fun because it really is small. It's a small, small world, that Catholic world. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I really loved how we just kind of unpacked a lot of what that the book is about. Um, and it, 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 it's so true because we, we experience these things that I really like that she had pointed out too, is, you know, we're, we experience these things and oftentimes we keep it to ourselves and then we're, we're, we're going through it alone. And yes, you don't have to be an oversharer, but just those those little things of feeling like inadequate or, you know, as a, as a mom, to be able to talk about those situations, maybe even laugh about those situations. And as, as you do that, you kind of are unveiled to realize that God's really got all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's this one line in the book. Um, she, I'm going to actually quote it, uh, read it to, to you guys. Um, it, it says, uh, the way I silently spoke to myself throughout the day dripped with a relentless critique of my performance. I wouldn't talk to my worst enemy the way I talk to myself. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, that's so me. I do that. So I'm so bad about doing that. And um, I bet there's probably one listener out there saying me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we really have to stop doing that. We need to stop talking to ourselves, you know, or listening to those crazy um, accusations. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you and I, we've talked about this several times on the podcast about how God talks to us versus how God, our loving Father, talks to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And start to recognize that voice and just kick it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but gosh, 
gosh, how do we get, I, I get so deaf to it. Mm. And I'm just walking through, just chiming in on myself. <laughs> and sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it until I'm in such a deep hole. It's really difficult to pull myself out, mm-hmm. which is why we have good friends who say, no, that's a lie. And it's time to denounce it. Well, one particular uh, podcaster that I like to listen to, and I have to give credit where credit is due, Bill Johnson. Um, he was talking once and he'd said, you know, that negative cycle, it takes me, you know, 10 minutes to get there, meaning like in a hole and a week to get out. And it's so true, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so you just, you just can't even enter the dance. You just can't. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no. well, and I'm glad that y'all talked about the title because it is that, um, some people can read that and think that it was a little misleading, not misleading. That's a very negative way to say that, but they're going to assume that it's something that it, the book absolutely is not. So I'm glad y'all clarified that um, so that more people will feel like, okay, it's time to pick up the book and read it and get a couple girlfriends together and sit around with some coffee and in real life talk about it so that we can be really encouraging each other and, and building each other up and calling out the lies that are stealing that freedom that we have in Christ. Yep. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this week. You know that we really are so grateful for all of you with us in the trenches. Don't forget, you can find show notes. You can also find our support page at Thriving in the Trenches, where you can find all the links to everything we talked about in the show. But you can also find a link where you can support us in our monthly podcasting. So uh, please subscribe, guys. Share us with a friend. Leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Thanks for coming. Thank you for listening to Breadbox Media. Find more about us at breadboxmedia.com.